Pages of Pim Better Podcast. Welcome, travelers, adventurers, and voyagers. This is the Voyages of Tim Vetter Podcast. Whether you are a faithful listener or you are listening for the first time, thank you for tuning in. I really greatly appreciate you all. Imagine this could be your life scuba diving in Indonesia. Meeting a local, a stranger in Nepal and trekking the Mount Everest base camp. Taking a camel trek through the desert and sleeping under the stars. Living hand to mouth by choice. Waking up and saying, I wonder where I could hike today. I wonder what new adventure I should go on today. Imagine cliff diving in the Philippines. Imagine trekking an active volcano that's spewing lava in Guatemala. Well, my guest today doesn't have to imagine because those are the actual things that he has been doing over the past two years. My guest is Jackson Groves. He is, first of all, what a cool name. That doesn't even sound like a cool name, but he is a badass vagabonding traveler. He's from Australia and he does blogging. He has a popular Instagram account. He documents his travels through beautiful photography. And so far his travels have taken him through Southeast Asia, the Philippines, Cambodia, Laos, Indonesia. He's gone to Greece. He's gone to Belize. He's gone to Guatemala. Currently he is in Oahu or Kauai? Kauai, Hawaii. Jackson's, I mean, he's so calm and cool throughout this conversation that like I'm getting so geeked up by his pictures and the stories that he's telling me, but this just seems so normal to him. And that's actually a question that I asked him. Has this, has this type of a lifestyle become normal to you? Because I think that so many people that are watching his travels and that are going to be tuning into this episode are doing so because they want a glimmer of that life. I mean, hey, that's me watching him. And really, his pictures are really, really beautiful. I first discovered his work through Instagram, and I've been voraciously reading through his blog in preparation for this episode and now post. Uh, It's really, really beautiful. And I think that he pretty adequately breaks down how to do what he's doing. He does a lot of couch surfing. He does a lot of hostel stays. We get into this, but he hasn't spent more than $12 on an accommodation throughout his travels. It's pretty incredible. I mean, he is pretty honest about the fact that when he gets ambassadorships and things like that, he's staying at nicer places, but that's because that's paid work. That's not something that he's paying for. A couple of disclaimers, I guess. So the first maybe 10 minutes of this episode... The, the sound is not so great. Uh, Jackson was in a Starbucks getting work done when we started the call. But then he goes outside after a little while and uh, that'll kind of seamlessly transition and then the sound's a lot better. Now, sometimes this is just kind of what we have to deal with to put out episodes. Um, you know, this one wasn't such a great time difference, but Hawaii is five hours behind New York. And I recorded this at 12, 12 a.m. after the Super Bowl. 
So there's, you know, sometimes there's a lot that goes into putting these out. I am not complaining by any means. I, I absolutely love this no matter if it's 3 a.m. or whatever the circumstances are. But that's just the reality of it sometimes that, you know, it's, it's hard to get super great quality through a phone call. And then, you know, obviously Jackson's real busy and he's, <laughs> we talk about this. Uh, so I'm super appreciative that he was able to get it in at all. So just bear with the first 10 minutes. It's still totally listenable and I think uh, you'll certainly enjoy it, but not it's not totally up to the standard of sound quality that, um, you know, I would love to, to put out and to associate with, uh, with the podcast name. But we got it done. So, yeah, Super Bowl, right? It's funny because I mentioned to Jackson that this is the Super Bowl and it was just like, oh, okay. <laughs> and I talked to Chitra, who's on an episode of the podcast, who's Indonesian, and I mentioned the Super Bowl and she was like, the what? So it's funny because I think it's just giant global event. And while it's giant here in the States, I guess it's not so global. Okay. Let's see here. What did I want to say before getting out of here? All right. So Jackson has these Lightroom presets that he sells, which are a photo preset for your camera that cut down on the editing time afterwards. And so what I want you to do is tune into my Instagram for about a week, two weeks after this episode is published because I'm going to do a contest in which I give away a copy of these presets. So go to my Instagram, the voyages of Tim V and see how you can do that. Also go check out Jackson's stuff. This is what he does for a living. It's his Instagram is jackson.groves. His photo presets are at filter grade. And of course I will, uh, post all this stuff in the show notes. So you could also just check that out. But his blog is Journey Era. And again, he's got really amazing pictures. Gosh. Um, He does some drone photography. He's obviously got a real sweet camera. He's got those presets. And he's got pictures from all of the destinations that he's been to. And they are gorgeous. A lot of cliff diving, a lot of swimming, everything shirtless. <laughs> it's funny. I asked Jackson, uh, after the fact I had just written down to ask him, but I'm like, Hey man, how do you stay in such good shape? I think you're one of the only vagabonders I've seen, uh, with a six pack. <laughs> and he said, you know, that obviously he's living as cheaply as possible. So he said, you know, local gyms, outdoor gyms, body weight exercises. And then obviously he's quite active, We talk about this in the episode, but he's not, you know, sitting around on the beach all day. He's moving on the beach. He's hiking. He's seeing sights. He's always moving. He said he's not a big partier. So yeah, that's what an active, happy, healthy lifestyle will do for you, folks. So there's your answer. Okay. Uh, I had fun doing this. As always, I hope that you enjoy it. Shoot me some feedback. I always love that. Yeah. Yeah. Enjoy it, folks.
So, uh, I think most people who know of you know of you through your really amazing photography, your stories about your travel, your blog. But I want to kind of start with where you were at in life before you decided to make this transition. Uh, okay. Um, so when I was uh, 20 years old, I was trying to become a professional soccer player. Uh, I was in Adelaide, Australia, which is my hometown. And I had just kind of got the final decline from my local professional team, Adelaide United. And so my dream was all but over of playing professionally in my hometown. So I decided to pursue an opportunity of scholarship in the US. Uh, I ended up getting a full scholarship to Oregon State University. And it was there that I got a chance to choose a new degree um, rather than being uh, in Australia where we have to kind of stick with what we started. And uh, I chose digital communication. Uh, from there, I played two years and uh, through certain circumstances, I had to transfer and I went to Hawaii Pacific University and they had journalism um, or communication, so I chose to do journalism. Um, and so while I was on Hawaii or on Oahu, the island of Oahu, I got into photos. It's quite popular there. Um, got into photography because it's such a beautiful place and everyone's going on adventures and hikes. And, uh, yeah, it kind of started from there. I got interested in Instagram um, through a, a college class I had at Oregon State, but I, after that class, I left it for a year. And then when I got to Hawaii, I started again. I researched all about Instagram, and that went on for about nine months to a year. And then I decided I would write a blog without ever knowing what, what a blog even looked like. Um, and, yeah, just kind of all developed from there. So at what point, though, Jackson, did you decide, like, hey, I'm not actually going to work for anyone else. I'm just going to kind of go off and do my own thing. So I, I began um, doing this while I was still in college. Um, I was on a scholarship that allowed me to have my housing and some of my um, living expenses covered. Uh, and I had already began to start making some money online through Instagram um, while I was still in college. Uh, so it was kind of a transition that happened not all of a sudden, at one turning point, it was, uh, you know, it, it was me in college thinking what I'll do next and not really knowing that this could develop into something bigger. Um, and then as it slowly developed into something small, I, I began to have ideas of maybe it could be something and I just, I just ran with it. Um, so when I left college, I was already earning uh, you know, several hundred dollars a month, which might not sound to a lot of people who are in a profession, but when you can learn, earn online, uh, the dollars are much more valuable because you can live a, a certain lifestyle and you have a certain freedom. So that was uh, encouraging to me that I was earning even a little bit. And um, as things grow, that just kind of uh, increases to the point where you get to your earning you know, enough to survive each month while you're traveling. And then it gets to the point where you can start saving money and your lifestyle is, you know, you can upgrade or whatever you choose to do. 
Yeah. And so I want to talk about your style of travel, but I first just want to hit on when you are making money, I guess, initially, and when you're making money now, is that mostly through like brand ambassadorships and sponsorships and things like that? Uh, so there's um, a few different avenues of uh, well, a few different income streams I have. The, the first one and the main one is through my blog. Um, at the moment, there's 260,000 page views on my blog per month. Wow. It's just been ranked the 45th um, biggest travel blog by um, traffic. Uh, that was on the expeditioner.com. It's not necessarily the, the perfect ranking, but uh, just to give you some idea of what that sort of traffic is. And the idea is that uh, with ads um, on the blog, uh, with those sort of numbers um, visiting, uh, yeah, you can make a significant amount uh, just from ads little personalized for the visitor. So that's the main one. Second one uh, would be through Instagram collaboration. So there's brands such as, we've got travel apps, we've got uh, clothes, you know, a lot of people selling watches, sunglasses, um, board shorts, clothes on Instagram, and they're looking for influencers. So if something fits, you know, my style or, or the travel scene, I'm happy to partner up with people. Um, and I do that sort of thing. And uh, then I, I'll, the other income stream, I'll work on campaigns with the tourism board. So last year I worked with the Royal Caribbean for a week. I went on a, a seven day cruise, created content for them to promote uh, their cruises for millennials. They want to um, broaden their, their type of customer from the older generation to millennials, which is happening a lot. Um, and they, they pay you to come and do that. Uh, so there's a few other, but those are the main ones of my income streams. And so you're making enough money to sustain your travel. You mentioned uh, just a couple minutes ago that you can then choose to either upgrade or downgrade. You haven't quite chosen to upgrade. In fact, it's the way that you travel is what uh, the, the travel writer Rolf Potts describes as vagabonding. Um, is this a, a conscious decision in your travels or is this something just based on budget? Uh, it, be it began when I left. Um, a lot of it I had, I think it was four or five thousand dollars. And at that stage, I wasn't, uh, and nothing was secure. And I was going as budget as possible because, uh, that amount of money I had was to last me until I could make this something sustainable. And I didn't know if that would take a year or two years. And the fallback was that I would do, uh, I would have to go back and work a nine to five, which is something I didn't want to do. I have done, I've worked on construction sites. I've driven six ton trucks. Uh, I know what uh, work's all about. Um, and it's not something I wanted to go back to and having a boss and doing a bit of a monotonous job. So the budget travel was, uh, getting to do all these adventures. I didn't really mind so much where I slept or if it was a luxury meal or the luxury transport. I was more how many, how many hikes, and how many adventures and how many uh, cool things do I get to do and see this year. And that number was much higher if I didn't spend a lot of money on accommodation, transport, and food. So at the beginning, that's that's why it was budget, and it's been budget my whole life. I spent six years in college, so you know you never have a lot of money doing that. Yeah. But it's gotten to the point now where, uh, yeah, I'm I'm living well beneath what I'm earning each month, but. The reason for that is that I don't, I don't like the idea of upgrading the lifestyle purely because of 
earning more money. And when I, the, the big part um, about why I choose not to do that when it's a travel lifestyle is because if you go to a hotel, the types of people you're meeting at a hotel are generally not the adventurous, um, outgoing, young crowd. Um, there's a lot of couples. Um, there's a lot of families. There's a lot of older people because those are the people who have the means to afford the 100 200 $300 room uh, and I accommodation. So you, by traveling in these places, you're kind of eliminating the type of people you're going to meet. And on top of that, if you start traveling and doing the expensive things, you kind of mix with these people only, and you don't necessarily have the unexpected adventures when you get the shuttle the picture up from the airport, takes you to your hotel, and then you go on your booked activities. It's not how I have fun traveling. There's times where I wish I had to book something more expensive, but I also enjoy the challenge of it all. And aside from what um, my needs and my wants are when I'm traveling, I like the idea that uh, I can present to people a type of travel that's attainable to anybody who can afford to travel on whatever level it is because I'm pretty much doing it you know as cheap as as possible you can always go cheaper but $800 a month appeals to a lot of people because that's that's what a lot of people can afford from coming from you know a western country like Australia or you know, England or America yeah, and you wrote that you haven't spent more than $12 a night for accommodation during the, the time that you can travel. Yeah. That's incredible. It, and uh, well, I make it clear, but I have to admit that at times I am uh, staying in a five-star or four-star hotel, but it's put on by a campaign that I'm on. Right. Um, and I do those, and that's part of my job. And I, like I've written before, it's a... Uh, it's a, it's a break from sleeping in a Toyota Prius with another guy I met four days ago from France here on Kauai right now. So it's a welcome break at times, but, uh, it's, yeah, I've never, when I'm paying, which is, I would say 80% of my travels, if not more, for my last 12 months, never been over $12, which is easier in Asia. I haven't been traveling in Europe, America, right, right. Australia, so that's, it's not uh, necessarily a, something I could maintain around the world. But yeah, in Asia, that's been the standard. So I want to go back for a second. I think there's something that translates across multiple fields. Something that I've been exploring on this podcast is people that want to make a change in their life that are you know fed up with the nine to five, that you know, see like one mundane path through life and are afraid to wake up at 50 and think that life passed them by. Uh, it's tough to take that initial plunge because of fear. Either, uh-oh, this could fall apart. I could get hurt and not have health care. You mentioned that, you know, the nine to five is always there as a fallback. But what made you so confident that blogging would work out for you? Like what gave you the confidence to actually do this? Um, yeah, to be honest, nothing made me confident at all. And I, with the blog itself, I actually didn't know how that would make a lot of money ever. Um, if you had have told me, I would, and I didn't really, I'm not that into money. Um, but if you had have told me I would be able to make the amount of money I am now, I wouldn't have 
thought that would be through blogging. I thought Instagram and, and this should, should have the potential. But when I began, I honestly didn't know anything about blogging. Um, and I, I didn't know. So it was more of a, I mean, I'm fortunate. I came from a middle class family in Australia. So if, if something went wrong for me, I can always go home, um, live with my parents and get a job. But I'm fortunate in that regard. The fallback was a pretty comfortable fallback. Um, and not everybody has that, um, that fallback sitting there. Uh, and I'm well aware of that. But, um, yeah, even with that fallback, which it's a heavy blow to take most if you had to fail, mostly because a lot of people are kind of waiting for the failure when they see what you're setting out to do. Um, even if they're not wishing it upon you, people are like, well, are you going to travel and then what? And I still get the demo on now. So I think the confidence thing, it was a more of a, I just like a challenge and I don't really give up um, unless I'm, my hand is forced. So I just keep, keep going uh, and keep finding a way to make things happen. When you started out, were you traveling with friends or are you doing these, uh, you know, these excursions and, and these trips to these countries? Are you doing this solo? So when I began, I was on a walk, was still in college. Um, and it's part of, I think it, it was lucky that I started there. So I was on a walk, I was um, living with my girlfriend and three roommates at the time. And I started documenting the adventures we were having on the island of Oahu. This island has uh, 8 million tourists a year come visit the island as far as I know. And there's 1 million people who live there. So it's a really high traffic place. Um, so everything I was writing is now read by a ton of people who are visiting. Uh, and that, that's been, I think, a lot to do with the popularity of the blog. But we started there and that was nice because I had the comfort of um, not traveling, but writing about the adventures. Um, because it's hard to travel and ride on the go. So it was a good three months of blogging in one place before I set off to uh, travel and blog at the same time. I mean, your your pictures are amazing. Your blog is full of amazing pictures. It seems like you have a number of friends who are really talented photographers and friends who are talented filmmakers. So what I'll do is I'll put the show note, uh, in the show notes, I'll put links to all of your work so that people can check it out. It's amazing. Uh, yeah. But there's a number of photos from places that I haven't been yet. Uh, and I want to bring up some of these places and I want you to either uh, explain your experiences or a story from that place or just tell people what that place is all about. Is that cool? Okay. All right, yeah. cool. So the first one, I've seen this before. It's amazing and you've got some beautiful shots of it, but it's the Nine Arch Bridge in Sri Lanka. Yeah. So what's this all about? So this, this bridge, um, it's just in Ella. It's, uh, it's a famous uh, town in Sri Lanka, quite popular with tourists. And uh, this bridge, uh, there's train, trains are amazing in Sri Lanka. They go throughout the countryside. And people take the train as a tourist attraction, um, and but the locals take it as a, a mode of transport between towns. And this bridge uh, has nine arches. Obviously, it's a nine-arch bridge, and it's a real amazing structure that people go and visit just to check out and the trains still run across it and I believe the the real interesting part of the bridge is that it was built without uh, uh, without steel 
it was meant to be built with steel, but during the um, one of the world wars, I can't remember which the exact history on it, but they, they had to build it uh, without the steel because the steel went to create weaponry. Um, so they built it all with uh, bricks and other, I, I don't know exactly the materials, but yeah, so the, the locals who were left over who weren't fighting the war were building the bridge. I have to double check that history, but I'm pretty sure they 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 made some real uh, architectural feats to put that together. What kind of a trek is it to get there? Does the train run from a central city? Uh, so I believe it comes from a town called Demodata, and it goes to Ella. Uh, to to watch it as a bystander, you only need to take a small walk, maybe 20, 30 minutes, or a tuk-tuk from Ella town. Not not very far at all, and then it's a 10-minute walk down a hill to watch it, or you can watch from on top of the hill without a walk at all. When you're discovering places like this, Jackson, are you looking things up on the internet? Or are you going the route of like, wake up one day, you know, talk to other backpackers, talk to a local, see what's cool to do that day and just go? Like, how are you figuring out like all these amazing places to go to? It's uh, definitely a mix and it's something I've uh, come to realize it's grown into a bit of a skill of going to an island and being able to find everywhere. So... I'll definitely research before I get to a place and I have a plan of um, what sort of article I want to write and what sort of things I want to experience, whether it's right now on Kauai, I'm, I'm trying to um, hike all the all the best hikes on the island. So mm. I've got 20, a list of 20, and then some locals will fill me in on extra ones and then we discover some as we go. Uh, so when um, I'm on an island like that, I will firstly look at blogs that other people have written uh, and then I'll pick out the best things that I see from you know 10 different blogs that I think would be cool to go and visit then I'll kind of you can you can google around secret spots local spots um, and then obviously most people don't talk about cliff jumping and and the more dangerous stuff so we throw those in um, and most people aren't documenting those and then there's illegal things which we don't do too many of, but those usually don't get thrown in the main blogs either. So I think we just go a bit more, <laughs> a bit more extreme. So we get a lot of things that maybe not, not the regular, a lot of people do them, a lot of travels do them, but those people aren't usually the bloggers. So yeah, it, it for sure be one of the more adventurous, extreme type of blogs, I guess. Yeah, you have a lot of content with cliff diving that's just, it's awesome. Like, I think some of your footage is drone footage. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, man, they look so cool. Like, it's been, like, I've been checking them out uh, in preparation for this podcast, and it's been giving me the itch so bad to travel. Um, another a place that I'm curious about hearing about is the Everest Base Camp Trek in Nepal. Yeah. So that, um, I don't know what made me decide and go do that. Sometimes I just see whatever I feel like and, and I don't know how I get drawn to it. But I went to Nepal. I didn't even check the weather or the when the best time to hike. It wasn't. I just rocked up in Tamil, which is the town there where you would organize a hike. I didn't even have any pants or a jacket. So I brought that stuff there and I met a guy, a, a guide on the street. And then we decided to go four days later. 
just me and him and, and hike. Wow. Um, so every space camp in the off season, so there was hardly anyone there. And I, uh, I got food poisoning the night before the hike. It was probably the worst food poisoning I've had in my life. And then we still managed to struggle through, uh, the first day. And then the second day I was just bedridden. So I spent like 40 hours in the first tea house. Holy shit. Then recovered enough to continue on. And then altitude sickness hit on day four or five. Oh my God. But I, I was come day seven and eight when we really hit, um, the good viewpoints and the real hype. I was great. And some other people got the sickness then. So I ended up, it was a real battle. Um, and I vlogged I daily. That was the only time I've ever daily vlogged. So it's actually all there. People want to see the struggle, but, um, wow. yeah, that was, uh, an unreal experience. Um, it was like planet Mars and there was often no one around. I remember being at the top of a mountain five, 5,500 meters high and the guide and I were rolling rocks down the mountain seeing who could make it last the longest and there was just no one anywhere we could see for miles so it was insane wow that's amazing um yeah so another one I've been to Indonesia but obviously it, uh, it's like 13,000 islands so it's so vast but you posted pictures from an island that I hadn't even heard of, and I, I'm most likely butchering this name, uh, but the next place I want to ask you about is Raja Ampat in Indonesia. Yeah, that's, uh, that's, that's a really uh, amazing region, Raja Ampat. It's, uh, it's part of Indonesia, but it's bordering with Palau. So the people there, um, they look and they have different cultures to the Indonesians in Jakarta or what you find in Bali. They, um, they're dive, they're divers, they're by the ocean. Um, and it's definitely more isolated. So we went there on a scuba diving trip. Um, it's kind of one of the meccas for scuba divers because it is so isolated and expensive to go to and, and all that. Uh, but it has some of the best diving in the world. Um, they have manta rays there. They have, all sorts. We um, we scuba dive. I think five times in a, in a few days. Uh, it was just in, insane scuba diving there. And they also have places like Pianema Islands, which is I, I took a lot of drone footage there. It was the reason I bought a drone. It's just a lot of a lot of islets, um, like tropical blue water and small islets everywhere. So. Wow. Rajampat's crazy, yeah, really crazy place. If anyone can ever get there, it's, it's really expensive and really hard, but it's definitely on a lot of travelers' bucket list. Yeah, and you have some really cool pictures of some locals in your photos from Rajampat. And w was that part of a show? Because I know, like, sometimes when you go to places, they do like a, a traditional cultural show. Uh, was that part yeah. of a show, or were you in a village somewhere? Uh, so, some of them, yes. There was a guy, I, I think you're talking about a photo of a um, local man with a bow and arrow. Yeah. Right, that was part of a uh, traditional performance they put on for us, uh, and then he posed for a photo for me afterwards. But in the same series of that 12 days, I did a daily photo blog every day, um, which left me with very little sleep, but it was really cool because it made me shoot a lot more, and I... Took photos of locals on almost every day, um, in Arborex village, 
um, in Alor and the majority, there was, I think, two performances in the whole trip, but the majority of the photos of locals uh, are just people I met on the street or I just shoot street scenes and village scenes. So. Okay. One more place I want to ask you about, and that is the, again, I'm awful with words, but the Pacaya Volcano in Guatemala. Yeah. Um, so I went to um, back, back in Guatemala by myself, and I rocked up at a hostel in uh, Antigua, and the owner, uh, he, he was really cool. He was hanging out with us. Um, we went and played um, soccer the first night and got to know him and then he organized or he told us he would take us to a volcano the next morning if we wanted to go so at four in the morning we, we got in the the owner's car and he was just taking us there as a friend he wasn't a tour or anything and we we got in his car he made a thermos of coffee and we started walking up the volcano in the dark and it was erupting whoa <laughs> so, yeah there, there was like red red lava coming out of the top. It was safe, according to him. And we we hiked up this thing. It wasn't too bad or anything. I think it took us an hour and a half. And we hiked to the opposite side of the rim from where where this volcano kind of was erupting. And we watched that volcano erupt. And then in the, in the distance, there was several other volcanoes that were blowing. Um, had a coffee, and that's where we watched the sunrise. Wow. Does I mean, has this lifestyle become normal, Jackson? Like, do you understand how incredible this sounds to most people? Yeah, I I often stop and try and uh, just think through that. But it, yeah, it has become normal. That's just I think human nature um, to just not know what you have till it's gone, or to just take for granted what's going on if it happens continuously um but yeah it i know it's a, a crazy lifestyle um but yeah it's hard to um not get used to doing hikes every day or or just adventuring every day because it's been going on for two years now one of the things that people always say to me when i travel and I, I, I am not comparing my travels to yours because this is your life. This is your lifestyle. But one thing, when I go places that people are unfamiliar with or they haven't been there, they're always worried about my safety. And you had written about like uh, Guatemala City not being the safest place. But what has been your general feelings about the people you've met and the places that you've been in regards to your own personal safety? Um, so I, I won't try and put a target on my back right now, but I carry thousands of dollars worth of camera gear and my right. laptop, et cetera, in my backpack. And, uh, I, and I leave it in hostel lockers or locked private rooms. And in two years of traveling as a budget traveler in some dodgy places and in some places that aren't necessarily ranked as the safest, I've never had a single thing stolen, not a pen from my backpack. Um, obviously, you can get unlucky, but uh, I I don't know. If you keep an, keep an eye on your stuff, and you most of the people out there are pretty pretty good people. Like um, I often tell people that you know ninety nine point 
99.9, I don't know what the number is, but are just people who want to earn a living and have a family and mind their own business. That, that people aren't out to get you, no matter what country they're from. Um, and then it's just a few idiots in every country. But in terms of the overall safety of a country, I get a lot of people messaging me when I'm in the Philippines about, oh, is it safe to go? Yeah, and right. unfortunately, it's, it's a great example of, of the uh, information that they're being fed and how they're consuming it because the situation, as I understand the Philippines, is that there's some civil unrest in the south in, in one particular uh, region, a very small region, and there's 7,500 islands in the Philippines. So we're talking about one tiny uh, region and it's not like uh, it's an out-and-out war. There's civil unrest, uh, which is linked to terrorism uh, in some, some way or another. But there's not a whole lot going on down there. And I've got people messaging me, asking me if it's safe to go to El Nido, which is on the other side of the country, <laughs> boat, boats and several boat rides away and a plane ride away. Right. And I, I just, I get sad that they even have to ask that question because they just heard the travel ban from Australia, for example, saying Philippines is unsafe to travel to at the moment. Oh, wow, and really? Not. Yeah. So, um, and I work with the tourism board there, and they get really disappointed when a, a country like Australia puts an out-and-out travel warning against the Philippines. Right, yeah. Uh, and it's it's isolated. Oh, and there's, uh, there's lots of countries around the world that have uh, an isolated region where there's civil unrest or there's an issue, um, but often the places that the tourists are looking to travel to aren't the places where this um, kind of thing is going on. And, yeah, I don't know. I think the world's a lot safer than we're presented. Um, if you watch the news, it's, we, we all know that it's a dispor- disproportionate amount of bad things shown on the news uh, because, they're, you know, when someone... When a big uh, shooting or a big uh, accident happens, it has to be reported on the news. But we just we think it happens a lot more than it does. Um, bad things happen a lot more than they do, so it, it's it's quite safe. Yeah, that's my opinion of the world. No, that's been my general experience as well. I think as as anywhere, like I live here in New York City, like you have to have your wits about you and you have to make smart decisions. But that's anywhere. Like if I'm walking down a completely dark street here in Brooklyn at three in the morning, like it's probably not the best thing to do. And that's going right. to translate to any city or any town in the world. Right. Uh, you mentioned... Bad, oh, I'm bad sorry. Things, yeah. uh, bad things happen in uh, in a lot of places and some of them, it doesn't matter. You know, if yeah. you have your wits about you or not, I, I could... Someone could roll up to me right now as I stand outside in the, in the parking lot and who knows what they their arms for what they want to do that I can't really control. There's bad people in every city. But I, I've, the last things I had stolen was, was two bicycles while I was staying in Hawaii. Wow. Um, so when America, and I had one stolen before in Oregon, so the last three things I had stolen were in the U.S. Right. <laughs> so when Americans ask me how safe it is to come to the Philippines, I'd probably say, you know, well, your bicycle won't get stolen here. <laughs> You mentioned that, you know, you carry your equipment in your backpack and I saw you write somewhere that everything you own is on your back, in your backpack, quite literally. And you wrote that that is a really liberating thing for you. Um, 
I'm wondering if you could expand upon that feeling and explain that. Uh, I think just uh, the feeling of freedom, I guess, is uh, a perception that we have. And if you can carry everything you need on your back, it's kind of uh, you, you can go anywhere and you've got everything you need, per se. So if you feel like you can carry that around with you and that's all that you need, you, you can kind of go anywhere. You don't need to come back for anything or you, you've got it all with you. So you just feel kind of, uh, you have the ability to roam. Um, you have, it's, it's, I get the same feeling when I travel in a van or a car, you know, the feeling to be able to park anywhere and there's no going home or, or having to travel here and there. You just, it's a feeling of just being able to go wherever and do whatever you want. I guess it kind of goes back to the vagabond. Um, but yeah, until you wake up at the beach or you spend three months away from home with a backpack, you just, you probably don't understand the, the feeling of not having to go home or not having to have a base or anything like this. It's just that it's you and that's all it is and just some clothes. Yeah. I mean, that's, that's got to be quite a beautiful feeling. Uh, I, I do wonder, though, is is there anything that you ever miss? Like when when people are referencing like the latest show on Netflix or this movie is out or this thing is going on in politics or like this certain comfort of home that I have, does that ever give you pause or are you just like, nah, like my life's pretty sweet? <laughs> um, I think the once you get home, then you might start missing the TV or something. But if you stop watching TV for a year, it's, it's kind of like an addiction that just goes away. Mm. I think we only, well, I can only speak for myself, but I only watched it just to fill the time because it's there, you just get home, you sit down and you turn it on. But if you have to go out and look for a TV, you, you don't really want it that bad. Sit and watch some of the brain dead TV shows that are out there. So if there's something really interesting, you can watch it on the computer as you travel, but um, for the most part, the only time I notice that I miss something is if I'm in a real hectic schedule of travel where it's just on and on, especially with campaigns sometimes they're just flat out. And then I, I haven't, I think last year in November, I hadn't stayed anywhere for more than seven days in, in quite a few months. And I got to Bali and I was going to be there for eight days and uh, we took a homestay that had a shelf. And I was able to put uh, some clothes on the shelf. And I remember that was quite a novel feeling for me at the time. I was wow. quite excited to do that. <laughs> so, yeah, shelf. <laughs> Sometimes you miss a shelf. Um, yeah. What are the things that make you happiest or give you the greatest personal satisfaction when you're traveling? I think still it's pushing, pushing through a situation that, doesn't feel super comfortable. Um, so there's a lot. Of, there's a lot of moments where you just wish you were in a comfortable place, or you you wish you had a little bit. Uh, you hadn't pushed yourself out of your comfort zone. I guess that's the whole idea. But once you get through that, which is almost every time things just work out, you you grow an inch and you you try and take on something bigger the next time and. I think, yeah, just just being able to 
growing confidence to the point where I'm happy right now to be sent to pretty much any country in the world and just see who I meet. And um, I, I just couldn't have even imagined us doing that uh, when I was 20. And I still hadn't really traveled a ton. So when you look back, I think the things that make you happy is growing that inch each time. Uh, and then it's, it all adds up into this huge, huge wealth of experience. And for me, that's translated into confidence and just the ability to go around and um, be happy to meet people from any culture that look, you know, any way with any skin color. Do you have a, do you have a long-term plan? Is there a cap at, uh, you know, on five years or something like that? No, and I think I have been the whole time, even at the start of all of this, I've been very good with the flow. And yeah. while I'm still enjoying what I'm doing and, and progressing and different, taking on different challenges and meeting cool people and it's, I guess my career, if you want to call it, is progressing, then I'm fine to go with it. I've got a few projects that I'd like to introduce to kind of add a little bit more direction to things sometimes, but um, that's all in good time. Uh, I try not to rush anything too much. Um, but yeah, the, there's no real cap. The beauty of the blog and the Instagram is it is about travel like right now, but the, at the core of it, it's about, uh, my life or my journey, which is, um, not always going to be about travel or it doesn't always have to be about travel. Mm. Um, so there's, there's always an option to change it up, but, um, for now, um, I'm happy just to keep um, visiting places around the world and, and taking on new experiences. What's the next place after Hawaii then? What's, what's a place that you haven't been to yet that is uh, coming up on your list? So the next place is actually somewhere I have been. It's, uh, I'm pretty stoked. I'm going to Indonesia. I'm going back to the Noosa Island. Okay. Um, which is just uh, and I'm running my uh, first ever workshop there. So I have seven up and coming bloggers oh, wow. uh, that are going to be joining me there um, for 10 days of adventure and, and um, some learning going on there. Um, and then after that, I'll be heading to Queensland in Australia to do a campaign uh, for the upcoming Commonwealth Games. So nowhere new in March, um, but yeah, some new experiences um, with us. Something that I've talked with other folks about who also travel and work as part of their travel is that I think sometimes, Jackson, when people, like again, look at your beautiful pictures, they think that this is almost like a work-free life, that like everything is just roses, everything's great, which I'm sure majority of it is. But again, a picture is a snapshot of your day. It's not your whole day. And I was wondering if you could just talk about like how much work it actually takes to sustain this type of a life and to make money to keep it going. It takes, it takes too much for most people. That's why a lot of people give up because mm. it's a self-driven project um, and there's a lot of hurdles. So those are the barriers to uh, entry for most of the barriers to success for most people is that they're there are a lot of stops along the way where things aren't going the way you want. For me, in terms of how much I work, 
Um, it's busy. When I'm not adventuring, I'm not really partying. I don't really do the the whole chill thing too much. Reading a book by the beach, not really my go. So if it's raining, it's rained all today in in Kauai. So I've been at Starbucks. I've written, I've published two blogs, written two others, handled all these emails and other boring stuff. And then if it's sunny tomorrow, we're out. We're gonna go hiking. Um, so we make, I kind of run with the weather a little bit, I guess. Um, but uh, yeah, I work my ass off. Uh, the people who know me and the people who travel with me, um, they, they know what goes on and it's a hustle. Um, and if you stop hustling in this industry, there's always, it's like anything. There's always someone else who's going to be working harder than you. So I try and be that guy who's the one working harder than everybody else. And in the end, it's, it gives you the opportunity to, you know, let your work, which is a blog and an Instagram, arise in what is essentially a competitive field. Um, and it's it's not something that you can just say, oh, well, just in, enjoy yourself all the time and it'll take care of itself because it's not. It's a really um, competitive thing and you have to be uh, strategic about how you do things and you will get left behind if you don't. So you have to hustle on it. Um, and that's what gives you the opportunity to, you know, enjoy the fruits of your labor, which is the travel and the adventure long term. Yeah, I think that's a really good point. It's a little bit of a tough pill to swallow for people. But I think that, you know, for people that are in the position that that want to change things and go a different route and they want to blame, you know, different aspects of life or my, you know, this thing happened to me or that thing happened to me. And so it's preventing me from doing so. It's really like, okay, like how bad do you want it? How bad are you willing to work for it? So whether it's in the blogging field or uh, again, whether it's you want to play football in the NFL or like me be a teacher or principal, um, it really does come down to like, how much are you willing to suffer for that thing that you want? Exactly. Yeah. It's, it's, uh, if you have a, a, a kid who's uh, wanting to be an athlete and they, they say it's their dream, but they only train for one hour a day, they they have to be told that there's a kid out there who's training or, or putting eight hours into it. Um, that's, that's, I mean, it's a, it's a doggy dog world. It, sometimes you wish it wasn't, but like I said, if, if you're not out there working the hardest, then you're falling behind the guy who is. And unfortunately, there are a lot of things that uh, if, if you're not the, the one working the hardest, you will fall behind, or the smartest, or both. But yeah, a lot of people, I think, see it as a bit of a, a dream job, but they don't grasp the concept of what's going on. And I try and be really honest to people who reach out to me um, looking to start um, because... I think a lot of people do do visualize this job as um, just reviewing a a country they visit or taking photos of them, um, you know, standing in front of the Taj Mahal or at the end of a hike, and that that's part of it. But very there's a there's a whole heap of stuff that goes on that's really boring, and time consuming, and you know, hard work behind the scenes that. That, that part gets left behind by a lot of people and then they unfortunately figure out that their time and effort isn't going to pay off in the way they thought because they didn't quite put in enough. 
and yeah, it's, it's competitive. There's a lot of people trying to do this kind of lifestyle. Yeah, and you mentioned food poisoning. I've gotten it so bad in Southeast Asia, like to where you're you're curled up in the floor in the corner of your bathroom in your tiny hotel room in Thailand, wondering like, am I going to have to go to uh, this hospital in Chiang Mai? Like, am I going to make it through this? Like, there are there are scary dark moments, but I think kind of like what you were talking about, pushing through those things gives you the amazing stories that you can talk about that excite people. You know, if if, everyone that's gone to India has gone to see the Taj Mahal, right? Mm -hmm. And so like, what can you really say about that? That hasn't already been said, but it is pushing through those crazy moments and the hectic moments and the sometimes scary moments that to me at least kind of makes, you know, travel really worthwhile. Right. The the best part is usually the unexpected or a bit unfortunate. It's it's like going on an adventure and that the day that it starts pouring down and hailing, you always remember that hike afterwards the most. You remember it more than the, the nice sunny day um, because everybody freaked out when it hailed and then you just got on with it and had a laugh about it and it, it stuck out. So I think it's, it's one of those things that uh, you often enjoy the the crazy, unfortunate stuff, obviously, more after it's over, but right. <laughs> the, the big stuff, you have to do, you have to see these big things with these amazing places around the world and do the, you know, you don't have to, but you do the experience, the, the stuff that's touted so highly, it's touted highly for a reason, but it's often the bus ride there is just as interesting. Yeah. I'm curious about how your family feels about you living this lifestyle. I would imagine that you don't get to see them too much. Yeah, I try and uh, head home for Christmas every year. Um, and my parents are pretty adventurous. They, My mom came out and visited me in Sri Lanka last year. And they visited me in New York one year and um, in Indonesia the year before. Um, my sister came out and traveled with me in Myanmar, Sri Lanka, and Indonesia last year, and Philippines. So they're pretty adventurous too. And uh, yeah, we do. I keep in touch with them as best I can. Um, but it's definitely, definitely hard to be away from my family and my cousins and friends back home. But that's all part of it, I guess. One thing I talked about, I had um, a woman on here named Anastasia Sarmava who, she works on yachts and she travels throughout the British Virgin Islands and the Caribbean, but she's traveled all around the world and she met somebody in Indonesia who she's been with now for like three years. And something that we talked about was like travel romances. And this is something that people always ask me and it's a thing. Um, I'm wondering... If you've ever experienced like travel romances or if you try to stay away from those things? Um, yeah, I mean, once again, I'm pretty good with the flow. So I don't really um, get out and party too much or I'm often pretty focused on what I'm doing, but I've definitely met a few people along the way who I thought were awesome and, uh, I got to spend some time with them while I was in that place, but moving on at the rate that I do, um, I try 
not to get too attached and you know because I, I'm moving on pretty quickly um, and my lifestyle is at the moment isn't very compatible with uh, another person but I mean that can change given circumstances but you know I think in the last 12 months it was something like 20 countries um, so that's just a lot to to ask of someone to be able to travel around but yeah you definitely get to meet a lot of um, really cool people from a lot of different backgrounds and yeah, I, I, I'm open to whatever happens but it's definitely an interesting scene in the travel world. Yeah, and I guess I'll try to qualify that question just so people don't think I'm asking like a, a cheesy gossip question. Uh, but at least from what I've seen and from what I've experienced, you almost kind of have to be responsible about it just because, especially if the person that you are meeting is not a fellow traveler, but a person that lives in the place that you're visiting. Uh, you know, just as as a white male from a country that is economically much more well-off than most other places in the world, you don't just offer you and the relationship. Like, you offer a promise of, you know, upward mobility and um, economic mobility and a chance at, a, at opportunity and things like that. And then, like you said, if you're a frequent traveler or you're living on the move – you're up and gone one day when you might have had a significant impact on somebody's life. Uh, mm. So you kind of answered that exactly what I was thinking, but that's the reason that I was asking that question. Yeah. Um, all right. I got a couple more here and then I'll wrap it up for you and let you go. But you, as I've talked about a few times, have really amazing photography and you have something that I believe you're selling uh, as a like a photo preset, can you talk about what that is? Yeah, so um, Adobe Lightroom is probably the most popular photo editing software out there. It's um, pretty pretty simple to get to know how to use. I think it costs about ten dollars a month for most people to have in their computer, and it allows you to organize all of your catalogs um, or your albums. I, I guess you you could call them. So I have all of my photos organized in there. On top of that, you edit your photos in there with uh, different presets, or you don't have to use presets, but you can edit them in there with quite a, a, a range of tools. Um, and it's used by most photographers around the world in conjunction with Photoshop. Uh, and what has been happening a lot lately is um, people like myself have been creating presets, which is, if you're editing your photos time and time again with the same color, um, color grading and same effects. Um, so some people like to, you know, have things a little bit darker. Some people like to change their blues to a little bit more of a, uh, a teal. And you got all these little, um, nuances from each photographer. They'll create a kind of, um, preset that they, they will throw on top of a photo. So if they have a sunset shot they've taken, they know they're going to put there. Um, editing preset on top of that and it will uh, make an effect on the photo that's the same every time so they can keep uh, consistent themes throughout their photos and it also saves them a ton of time on editing not to have to make all the individual changes each time. So the idea is that if you um, put someone else's presets on your photo, you should be able to achieve similar uh, tones, effects, colors, those, uh, shadows, and contrast as they're seeing in their photos. 
Um, and it's, I've, I've bought people's presets before and it, looking at their, um, techniques and just, you can see the things they've changed in the settings that's now applying to your photo. And it actually taught me a lot about editing and I learned from some really, um, high level photographers what they were doing to edit with their photos. And now, um, yeah, it's becoming uh, quite a trend for uh, photographers to, you know, share and sell their presets with other people. Um, and they can get the same effects as uh, the photographers having on their photos. Awesome. Uh, Jackson, is there anything else before we go that you want to plug or any message that you want to give to people who are listening? Um, well, I'm sure you'll have links somewhere, but my blog journey here is my main drive. Um, a lot of people on Instagram don't necessarily know I have a blog, even though I'm promoting it all the time. Um, but I am a blogger. Um, it's journeyhero.com and I, I blog probably three to five times a week on there. And one of those is the weekly. Um, it's a weekly review I do. I've done 81 in a row and it's the blog is the best way to keep up to date with all of my travels and just see a lot of cool places out there that you may want to visit or check out. Um, a message for people would be to be relentless in chasing what it is that sets your soul on fire. It's a bit of a um, dramatic statement, but if you really just stop and think about that, whatever it is that is really uh, driving you or, or that key motivation, that key goal that you have in mind, you have to not just have the goal, but you have to be relentless in chasing it to the point where even on the days where it doesn't feel like it's working or it's pointless, those are the days that you drive through, you push through, and it ultimately, if you put everything into it, you can leave no excuses behind. And if it doesn't work, you can only blame the circumstances and not yourself. But don't don't ever leave the result in your own <laughs> in your own hands let it fail because of something you couldn't control just give it every single thing you have and you'll more often than not see the result come through if you do that awesome i love it well uh thank you for doing this brother i really appreciate it yeah welcome thanks for having me awesome and that's the episode folks check out jackson at journeyera.com Check him out on Instagram at jackson.groves. Check me out at the Voyages of Tim V on Instagram. And you can email me at thevoyagesoftimvetter at gmail.com. As always, everybody, I greatly, greatly appreciate you tuning into this podcast. This sustains me in ways that few things can, and it makes me so happy, and I just absolutely love to do it. And folks... As always out there, please take care of each other. Bye-bye.